child in here uh, through the, uh, up into the age of nine. We'd love for them to join this mass of munchkins heading out of the back of the building that are going to a time of teaching through God's Word. Uh, this morning they are looking at the story of Jacob in the Old Testament. And so I'm excited how God is working through this, uh, this storyline for them and teaching them that it's more than a story, but it's the greatest story ever told. And it links their, their story into the story of the life of Jesus. And so I'm very thankful for the teachers that volunteer back there and giving their time in this. So we always want to pray for them as, in our hearts as they make the way the direction. If you have a copy of God's Word this morning, I would love for you to join me in Luke 23, where we were looking at a passage of text last week, and we we're going to return there and glean more powerful information, hopefully, this morning for us. I've been, for the last two weeks, my wife and I have been moving, uh, and our kids, they've been playing while we moved. Uh, we, have been, we have been moving houses, and so I have learned the importance of bolts and screws and hinges and also knowing where they return to what they're connected to i've been learning that uh we've been putting so many things together and trying to remember where we put these these uh connectors and yesterday we actually uh carmen uh said do you know what these get? we've put everything together now and she said do you know where these two bolts go to and they were I remember taking them out of something and they're substantial and I have no idea what they go to now and I have a feeling we will find out in a very difficult way when it collapses underneath us but we have we I have learned very literally the importance of something strong to connect uh, furniture and this morning this morning, I want to teach on quite possibly the most important hinge that we have in our understanding of Jesus Christ. And, and the most important hinge that holds together and joins the story of Jesus with your story. This is very important this morning. Last week... We treaded on quite possibly the most holy ground in all of God's word. As we took a look at the, our first look at the cross of Jesus Christ. And we looked forward up the hill to the cross that Jesus was heading towards. And we looked to see how Jesus was going to take our sin on him as we will look at this morning. And we looked ahead at how we are to properly respond to the cross of Jesus. And through this reading of Luke's description of the arrest and the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus, I shared with you three proper responses that I think we have as we look to the cross, as we approach the cross of Jesus. And I shared how we, first of all, we receive the grace of Jesus. It's an amazing grace. And we receive that. Through the cross, we see such grace that was poured out on us through the innocent sacrificial lamb. 
And not only do we receive the grace, but I shared how we, per- we perceive the glory of Jesus. Just as they saw his glory, his disciples, as he was crucified and placed in a tomb, but then returned to them and showed them the scars and was ascended into heaven. And they were just amazed with his glory. They perceived the glory of the Father, of, their, of, their, of, their, of Jesus that they were following. And he says, just like that, I'm going to come back for you. And they perceive that glorious day. And we too anticipate and wait for the second return of Jesus. But we talked about that we were redeemed for a purpose. Obviously, the the Bible does not end with Jesus ascending into heaven. But the story continues. And we are in the middle of writing that story. As God writes that story through our lives And so we proclaim, we said that our third responsibility, our response to that is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus until he returns. We proclaim the good news of the one who called us out of darkness into the marvelous light. That's a proper response to the cross of Jesus. And now this morning, I want us to peer directly into the face of Christ on the cross. And I want us to look at what Jesus actually accomplished through his death. What did his death actually accomplish for us? And I want us to see how this becomes our plea before God. This is heavy text for me. Because this morning, I believe that we, in order for us to properly see the cross for what it is, we need to see Jesus for who he is, and we need to see ourselves for who we are. Because if we perceive Jesus for who he really is, and we see us and our sin for who we really are, then we will properly see the cross for what it really is. This morning, I want us to see that there is a critical, life-changing, eternal difference between amazement and faith. I want to say that again. I want you to take off, uh, you know, anything that you, that, that you have carried into here of your past perceptions of what you think faith is. I want you to just hear that statement. I want you to see this morning that there is a critical, life-changing, eternal difference between amazement and faith. You know, amazement is a function of the brain. It's where we see something and we're blown away by it, but it is a function of the brain. But faith is an investment of the heart that changes the way that we live. Major difference. Amazement, we're blown away in our minds at something that is so amazing. Faith, our heart is captivated by that amazement to where we have a heart change that changes the way in which we live. I want you to see this morning that you can be amazed by the community of this church that you're a part of. You can be absolutely amazed at what Jesus is doing, blown away by deep, meaningful relationships. You can be amazed by the opportunity we have to come together and worship and literally be before the Father, the creator and sustainer of the universe And we get to experience that each week. That can be amazing to us. You can be amazed at what we have experienced through the cross theologically. Amazed. 
amazed that God could show such love to sinners that he would send his only son to die. And we can look at that and go, that is amazing. And we can do all that and yet not be living by faith. So this morning, I want us to consider what is the difference between being amazed at the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and placing our faith in the gospel of Jesus. I want us to uncover the difference between amazement and faith this morning because you see, these are two greatly different things. One as a head belief. We've heard the story of Jesus. We affirm with our head that these facts are truth. That God created all things and in his creation he is glorious. We affirm that. We're amazed that he did this. Romans 1, 18 through 20 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in these things that have been made so they are without Excuse. So we affirm that. We not only see that in creation, but we affirm the truth that we are sinful. You and I are sinful people. Whether or not we, we, you have a belief in Jesus, you probably have some belief in a moral standard of what you believe is right and wrong, and you're able to gauge when you've done right and when you've done wrong. For believers, Christians, we say that that is sinful and rebellion against God. We've rebelled against the perfect creation of God. Romans 3.23 tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we see that God has created everything glorious and we have rebelled in our sin and we're all sinful. And we affirm the truth that then Jesus is Savior. Jesus was sent by God. He's the Son of God. Romans 10.9, scriptures teach us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that Christ raised him from the dead, then you will be saved but there is a dilemma for me there's a problem there for me satan believes that god raised jesus from the dead but obviously satan will not be saved and satan confesses with his mouth that jesus is lord in luke 4 34 the demons say i know who you are the holy one of god they proclaim that Speaking out of a demon-possessed man, they say, we know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. We know that. In Luke 8, where there's a demonic man named Legion, he says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And obviously, they won't be saved. Satan and all evil forces have absolutely no doubts that Jesus is who he says he is. They know it here. They are fully aware that Jesus is who he says that he is. And so my struggle that I want us to outwardly uncover this morning is how do we place our hope and our faith in the gospel of Jesus? To where the facts of the cross move from our head knowledge to where we submit our lives to salvation in Jesus through faith. So this morning, I want us to look at the truth of what it means to understand and recognize who Jesus is, but then to believe that with our hearts because of what he accomplished on the cross. And to do that, 
I want us to return to our text from last week in Luke 23, beginning with verse 33. Hear the agony and anguish and purpose of the Father. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified Jesus and the criminals. Such a fulfillment of Isaiah, where it says he would be, he would be, he would be there among the sinners. He'd be numbered with the sinners. Jesus is crucified here with two criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And listen to what Jesus says in verse 34. He says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him that said, This is the king of the Jews. But one of the criminals who was hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the others rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly. He's looking at the guy going, Man, you and I are supposed to be up here. He says, We are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man who has even been affirmed in the courts this statement. He says, this man has done nothing wrong. Bro, are you getting this, man? We are supposed to be here. This guy's not. He's done nothing wrong. Verse 42, he says, Jesus, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And he said to him, truly I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And while the sun's light failed and the, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, this sacred divider between those who had been approaching the throne of God, it was torn in two, rent from top to bottom. And then Jesus called out with a loud voice, and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus knew that he had completed his task. And so he said those words, and having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle When they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. What a story. What a story. What do we learn from this this morning? As we reflected on it last week looking forward and now we look straight into the face of Jesus. Breathing his last breath and saying, Father, into your spirit. To my, in, unto you I commit my spirit. It is finished. He says, I've completed what I came to complete. What do we learn from this? I think there's a, two things that I want us to see that, with, that faith hinges together. Okay? 
I want, us to, I want to, to, you to see this morning that the two things that I'm going to be talking about this morning are hinged together by faith. And we've got to get this this morning. And the first thing is this. I want us to see the sufficiency of Christ. Stare into the face of Jesus on the cross as he bared, bore the sins of all humanity and he says, it is finished. I want you to stare into his face. And I want you to see the sufficiency of Christ. What is the sufficiency of Christ for us? Well, first of all, it's that Jesus is sufficient to remove our sins. Jesus Christ is sufficient to remove our sins. So there is a great dilemma that this scripture brings together. God cannot be just and righteous and fair, and yet just pass over our rebellion and sin. He can't do it. If God were to overlook sin, he would compromise his very character of justice and holiness, and he would no longer be the God we worship. Do you see that? This is not God saying, you know what, it's all right. Let's just kind of forget that that happened. No, that would completely go against his character and nature of justice. So the cross is the picture of God showing his justice and his righteousness toward sin. God desires his glory above all things, and he extends forgiveness to us on the cross that ultimately we may glorify him with our lives. Even from the cross, we see forgiveness. Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them. These guys, they don't know what they're doing. Jesus knew that he was fulfilling the will of the Father. He knew perfectly what he was called to do and perfectly what he was doing. And he said, Father, forgive all these guys. They, they don't get it. They're, they're part of, our plan, of your plan to redeem all of humanity, including the opportunity for them. And he says, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. And we see this, that the beauty of the cross is that Jesus was the perfect, and listen, the only sacrifice sufficient to take away our sins. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. I want to read this because this was powerful for me in my preparation this week. In addressing a crowd, he said in a sermon, he said, I do not know you, my friends, not individually. He says, most of you. But this is the, this is the wonderful thing about the work of a preacher. He does not need to know his congregation he said, do you know why? Because I know the most important thing about every single one of you. And that is that each of you is a vile sinner. I do not care who you are because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I do not care what particular form your sin takes. There is a great deal of attention paid to that today. The preacher is not interested in that. I do not want a catalog of your sins. I do not care what your sins are. They can be very respectable sins or they can be uh, heinous sins, vile, foul, and filthy. It does not matter, thank God. But what I have authority to tell you is this. Though you may be the vilest man or woman ever known, and though you may until this moment have lived your life in the gutters and the brothels of sin in every shape and form, I say this to you. Be it known unto you that through this man, this Lord Jesus Christ is preached unto you the forgiveness of sin. And by him, all who believe, you included, 
are at this very moment justified entirely and completely from everything you have ever done if you believe that this is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that he died there on the cross for your sins and to bear your punishment. If you believe that and thank him for it and rely utterly only upon him and what he has done, I tell you, in the name of God, all your sins are blotted out completely as if you had never sinned in your life. And his righteousness is put on you and God sees you perfect in his son. That is the message of the cross. Romans chapter 3, 21 through 25 says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and were justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. All throughout the beginning of Romans, there is great discussion on the character of God as seen through creation, his invisible attributes, his perfect justice. There's a great deal of discussion about the condition of man and how, and, and how though we sin, we, uh, we were, through our sin, we were led away to a crooked mind that led to crooked actions. That's us that describes us. But now there's a major shift on the scene in what God has revealed himself through. That's his son, Jesus. So what we see here is that the only way in which we could be saved from our sins is through the work of Christ. God did what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. So Jesus is completely sufficient to remove our sins. But there's a second thing about Jesus' sufficiency, and that is that Jesus is sufficient to satisfy God's wrath. Do you see that God had a burning wrath against our sin? That's just the way it is. God, can, God cannot look on sin. He has burning wrath against sin because it robs people of being the righteous people that he created them to be. He, 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 he has uh, just a burning wrath against sin. So again, for God to be just, he couldn't just say, oh, well, I'll just kind of, I'll, I'll deal with that on my own, you know. I'll just kind of work through those feelings that I have. No, to be God, he had, something had to intercede to absorb the wrath of God, and it was gonna be you and me, or it was gonna be a perfect lamb who could take away the sins of all people forever. If you look at our text in verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged there with him railed at him. He's saying, I understand you to be the Christ. Get us off of here. We deserve to be here. We have no power. You say you have power. Get us off this cross. Save yourself and save us. But the other one said, dude, do you see this? This man did nothing wrong and yet he is hanging on this cross and he sees that and he says Jesus will you remember me today and Jesus says you know what faith you will be with me in paradise today God is saying here that he is presenting Jesus his only son as the one who could satisfy his wrath against our sin Jesus alone is the only way possible to satisfy the wrath of God and reconcile us to him you see the scandal of the cross 
The beauty of the gospel is that God in his wrath, which is the greatest threat to us, we should fear nothing more than this in this life and the one to come than the wrath of God. And it's our greatest threat, yet because of Jesus, God himself provided a refuge from himself through the death of himself. God himself provided refuge against himself through the death of himself. That's a scandalous message. It doesn't make sense. And our reaction is amazement. Wow, Father, what love you have for us. My question is, have you believed that? Have you seen your sin condition? And have you seen God's angry wrath against your sin? Have you come to the end of yourself? Have you come to the end of yourself in your pursuit of justification through your own doings? Have you come to that end of yourself? Because the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died for our sin so that the Father may be most glorified. Have you placed your faith in that? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was not sweating drops of blood at the fear of Roman guards. He was not fearful of getting beaten by people on earth. He was not fearful ultimately of the scourgings. He was not afraid of dying on a wooden cross. Jesus praying that if there be any other way to redeem us, then God's, then God's will had, you know, he said, if there's any other way that you could do this, God, that would involve me not suffering physically. If there's any other way, he prayed with drops of blood, but he was ultimately concerned about the wrath of God that was about to be poured out on him. Jesus did just not just die for certain sin. Jesus died for all sin. Every sin that would ever be committed that would separate humanity from the Father was poured out on him to the point that the Father could not even look at Jesus. To the point that Jesus, who is fully God in this moment, who is seeing the Father, the full wrath of God against our sin was poured out on Jesus to the point that Jesus said, Father, why have you forsaken me? He feels forsaken by the Father because the Father could not even look on this sin. That's what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then one last drop, Jesus finished drinking the cup of God's wrath and all of the wrath against all of the sins forever was finally satisfied. And Jesus said, it is finished. And he breathed his last. Have you fully believed that? Because this is good news this morning for all people. It makes no difference of your past, good or bad. And it makes no difference if you have been the worst of sinners or if you have been the best church boy and girl that you could have been your whole life. It makes no difference. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, he being the standard. And this is good news for us. But now, here is the hinge we see the facts and the truth of what Jesus did for us, and we may receive that. For some of you in this room, you receive that. You embrace that. You know that to be truth. But then there's this hinge that we've got to connect that truth and the amazement that we see in that to faith. 
So the second thing that we see to this, the second piece, is we see the sufficiency of Jesus, but we have to see the necessity of faith this morning. Gotta see it. It's one thing for us to believe the facts of what we have looked at this morning, and it is another for these truths to be the hope in our lives for salvation. Repentance. This is what leads us to repentance, to a place where we turn from our sin and from our own sufficiency. We look at ourselves and we finally come to a place where we say, I am insufficient to satisfy my debt. And we trust in the completion and sufficiency of Jesus. Repentance holds hands with faith. Spurgeon said this, repentance grows as faith grows. Do not make any mistake about it. Repentance is not a thing of days and weeks. A temporary penance to be, to be got over as fast as possible. No, it is the grace of a lifetime like faith itself. God's little children repent. And so do the young men. So do the fathers. Repentance is the inseparable companion of faith. So how do we make this transition? How do we make this transition? How do we drop a hinge between understanding the facts of Jesus and believing it personally? Two words, by faith. By faith. Martin Luther said this, Our most merciful Father, seeing us to be oppressed and overwhelmed with the curse of the law so that we could never be delivered from it by our own power, he sent his only Son in the world and laid upon him all the sins of all men, saying, Jesus, you be Peter, that denier, Paul, that persecutor, blasphemer and cruel oppressor. You be David, that adulterer. You be that sinner which did eat the apple in paradise. You be that thief which hanged upon the cross. And briefly, you be the person which has committed the sins of all men. See, therefore, that you pay and satisfy for them all. And we put our faith in that. We put our faith in that truth. So we see that through the grace of Jesus Christ, we have been given access to the Father through the grace of the death of his Son. But there's a difference in knowing the facts that Jesus offers us grace on the cross and placing our faith in that truth. Very important verse for us this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. For by grace, by grace, you have been saved through faith. Grace alone says you have been saved through grace by faith. But see the beauty of the Father. Because he says even the faith to believe in that grace is not your own doing. He says this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no man can boast. He says, look, even the faith to believe in that grace is a gift for me. So you can't even say that you had awesome faith. He says, I'm going to give you that to believe. Paul says... By faith, in Romans 1, 15 through 17, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What does that phrase mean, faith for faith? Some translations of, the, of, the, of this verse would say it means, uh, they would interpret it by faith from first to last. It means completely by faith. Completely by faith. You can do nothing to be per, to pers- but personally believe in that. So what is faith? If you can, I want to picture it like this. Faith 
is the way in which the work of Jesus Christ is applied to our lives. Could you, do you see the hinge here? Stay with me just a moment. Do you see the hinge here? Jesus has accomplished this for all of humanity, and he's offered it to you personally in your life. And the hinge that links those two together is faith, where we take what Jesus accomplished for us and we apply it. It's applied to our lives. That is faith. So why faith? Why has God designed us to receive salvation through faith alone? Because you see, faith is the opposite of works and earning our salvation. It's the opposite of that. Faith is when you come to a place where you realize there's absolutely nothing you can do to earn salvation. When we fall on the grace of Jesus through faith, we are saying that there is absolutely nothing we can do And we have to fully trust that God will do what he said that he would do. There's a second thing. As we look at our faith this morning and the necessity of faith, we first must must see first of all that faith is a necessity to turn from sin. Faith is a necessity to turn from sin. I think we live in a culture that teaches us we've got to kind of clean it all up and then we come to Jesus. No, faith is a necessity to even turn from our sin. What was the difference between the two sinners on the cross? One stated his belief that Jesus is who he says he is and said, aren't you the Christ? Then save us. He placed his trust in, and, and, and he acknowledged that Jesus must have been who he said that he was. But the other places his faith in Jesus for salvation. Repentance involves a turning from something to something else. So as we place our faith in Jesus, we are literally turning from our sin, receiving a new heart, his spirit inside of us, and turning to life in Christ. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says this one time concerning coming to Jesus through faith. He says, we don't come to God as bad people trying to become good people. He says, we come as rebels to lay down our arms. That's what placing our faith in the sufficiency of Jesus to be able to turn from our sin. It's not us saying, God, look at my life and it has been disastrous. Man, I want to try to do good. So I'm coming to you because I want to try to do good. No, it is taking our rebellion against God and it is coming to the Father and is laying our arms down. Saying, Father, I receive your grace. That's placing our faith in Jesus. But there's a second thing, final thing. Not only is faith a necessity to turn from sin, faith is a necessity to turn to God. Romans 8, 10 through 11 says this, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. All throughout Romans, we read verses that speak about justification through Christ, eternal life through Jesus, the rescue from sin, through Jesus. But yet I fear that there may be many in our church culture today who have placed their faith in religion, 
who have placed their faith in church, who have placed their faith in morality, who have placed their faith in their family's faith, and they've never placed their faith in Jesus Christ. I tremble at the thoughts of Scripture. If there's a verse that keeps me awake as a pastor that I wish was not in there, it's verses like we find in the New Testament that says that the gate is narrow that leads to life, and many will say, Lord, Lord, looking for that, and he will say, depart from me because I never knew you. I fear that for many in our Christian culture, in a room this size, I would dare to say in this room, I have a fear that many may have prayed a prayer and walked an aisle, but have never been reconciled to God. I know that's gonna be a reality. Jesus says at the end, at the end of time, there are gonna be some who said that we prophesied in your name. I've not done We've cast out demons in your name. We hold that up. Wow. Cast out demons in your name. Did mighty works in your name. So they had all of the understanding here. But they had never hinged that understanding to their life through the hinge of faith. And Jesus will look at them that day. And he will say, depart from me. For I never knew you. Did, I, did he see? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I understand. You, you cast out demons in my name. You did great works in my name. You prophesied in my name. But I never knew you. You had placed your faith in all of that, but you had never placed your faith in me in the sufficient work of Jesus. And I never knew you depart from me. The unfortunate truth is that many theologically deep and educated people will be sent to an eternity of separation from God because they knew lots of things about him, but they did not know him. I just want you to hear me this morning. With all the compassion and care that I have as a pastor for you, have you been reconciled to God through faith in the sufficiency of Jesus? Most important question. Not do you know about Jesus? Do you believe that he was on the cross? Do you believe that Jesus was a real person? Do you believe that he really died? Do you believe that you're a sinner? Do you believe that you've done these things and you're insufficient? The question is, have those two been joined together through the hinge of faith? Has the blood of Jesus served as the propitiation for your sin over your life? Not your morality, not your religion. Have you come to a place where you have approached the Father and laid down your arms? Have you trusted in the truth that Jesus is sufficient to take away our sins, to put us in right standing before God? And have you not just believed this with your mind, but have you placed your faith in this truth? Some of, the, some of you this morning, if you were honest, you would say, Chad, man, I, I've never exercised this kind of faith. 
I've always done the things of Christ. I've always tried to live a good life. I've always prayed for forgiveness when I messed up. But I've never fully come to him in full awareness of my insufficiency. And I've never come to a place where I truly accepted his grace for my sin through faith. My prayer is that we all have found ourselves coming to this place of an end to ourself. I would love to be able to come and to teach week in and week out and assume that everyone in this room is a believer and that I can just teach how to live the life of Christ, how to walk in faith and assume that you all have that. But I can't assume that because eternity is too great of a cost to pay for a poor assumption. So this morning, I want to ask you, as as we read the New Testament, I cry out to you, be reconciled to Christ. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. But Jesus came. God being rich in love sent Jesus for us so that we claim victory in the verses, that there is, there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're not a believer this morning, I just want to, I guess not even ask, I, really, it's, I beg you, consider the calling this morning to be reconciled to God. The God that we've read about who was put on the cross and crucified for us loves you deeply. He loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his self through Jesus to die and says that I want you to receive that message through grace that I'm gonna give you the faith to believe. So if you're not a believer, I pray that you see that we are not just here teaching so that you learn more facts about Jesus, but we're asking you to drop the pen in that hinges your life with the propitiation of Jesus' blood. If, you're, if, if you've been a follower of Jesus, maybe, maybe to define it a better way, if you've been religious for the entirety of your life, this is not to be something that intimidates us or scares us. It's something that helps to drive down deep the roots of our faith. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Not in the facts of Jesus, but truly Is your sin, has it been dipped into the blood of Jesus Christ? It's critical. So this morning, we, as you, as we, we respond, we have an opportunity that, that, that I really want to nail this down. And so as you come this morning, 
I want you to come and take communion. If you're a believer, man, look, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that my faith is in Jesus Christ, that he is my only justification. I know that like I know that I just breathed a breath. I believe that, I trust that, I know that I will be with the Father one day. I have full assurance in that through faith. If that, and, and I want you to come and celebrate. This is a time to celebrate that. That we were dead and now we are alive. We were blind and now we see. We celebrate that through communion. We come and we take the bread that's broken into pieces to symbolize the brokenness of Jesus' body and we dip it in the cup and we eat that. And Jesus says, every time you do that, you remember me until I return. We do this and join together with, the, with all of history of the church and we join together and we take this communion anticipating that Jesus will return just as glorious as he left the first time. So I invite you to come during this time and to do that. If you're not a believer, there, and, and you're not comfortable, our elders will be standing in the back. We'll make sure that we're in, in this back corner here. Uh, if, you, if you just need to talk or pray with somebody, I want to make this an intentional time where you can do this. We, we move around a lot during this response time. And so people are moving all the way around. I want you, if you need someone to explain this further or to pray with you, I want you to go to one of those guys. If you're not comfortable with that, on every table today, where you take communion, there is a connect card. And you just you could take one of those and fill it out and put it in the basket. Say, I, I want to talk to somebody about this. And so I want you to respond in one of those ways this morning. You know, this is a, not a scary passage of Scripture. The intent is not fear. This is an offering of grace. Beautiful grace. This is an offering of the father who said, through my son's death and through his blood that was shed, I'm going to look not at you and your insufficiency and your sin, but when you unite your life with Christ, I will see my son. I'm going to cover your life with the perfection of my son. This is beautiful. This is exciting. This is good news. That's why we call it the gospel. Good news. This is not bad news. This is good news for us. And so this morning, I want you to respond however God calls you to. This is the hinge. This is going to hit. I mean, we're going to, as we leave Luke, we're going to be getting into some instructions to the church through some of Paul's writings. We're going to talk about how to live out a life of faith. But this is the hinge. Everything of instructions of how to live our life is impossible without Jesus Christ. It's impossible. Got to nail this down. And this morning, God, it's very clearly through his word, said that he sent his son. And his son has said, it is finished. He has accomplished this for you. So I want you to respond however God calls you to. So I want us to pray as our band comes.